Welcome to Garden People with your host, Jill Sowards of Violet Air Studio. Join us each season as we speak with your favorite garden people, designers, florists, growers, naturalists, chefs, artists, and more about how gardens have shaped their lives and informed their work today with seasonal tips, expert recommendations, and lots and lots of plants. To learn more, go to our website at violetairstudio.com. You'll find episode information, our seasonal journal, class list, and seed offerings. Everything you need to start your own garden story. My guest this week is Joanna Game, a grower and floral artist based in Devon, England. Joanna relies exclusively on English flowers and forages, growing many of her own blooms herself. A keen observer, Joanna's arrangements and her garden express cultivated wildness, where movement and color blur the boundary between nature and maker. Welcome to the show, Joanna. We're so happy to have you. Thank you very much. One of the first questions I had for you is how you came to this work and what your professional journey is with your work at Viridis. I suppose it's quite a long and winding road. Undoubtedly, I have always loved flowers and being outdoors and was very encouraged by my mother, really, mainly my mother. She got me going, I suppose. And, you know, even even if we were kind of walking into town to go shopping, I would come back with a bunch of something from somewhere. You know, it was just this always interested, always talking. She taught me all the names of all the wildflowers. She taught me all the trees. We discussed it when I was a little girl. And it's just been a constant there. She's always loved gardens. And so I've always loved being in the garden with her. So that's my foundation, I suppose. And then... I'd say in my through school and in my early 20s, although I always loved gardens and being outside and gardening, it wasn't something that I pursued. I had small spaces in London and I gardened them. I definitely was very engaged with them, but considerably less so than than now. I didn't think that it was going to become this huge part of my life as it has. So professionally, I had my children. And they're quite grown up now. And then when my daughter was about 18 months old, I had a friend who was a florist in London. And I'd always wanted to go to New Covent Garden. And I just kind of said to her in passing at the school gate, I think, oh, I'd really love to go to New Covent Garden to see the flower market. And she said, oh, I've got a job next week. Why don't you just come? So she picked me up at four in the morning and we went. I love markets too, actually. I have to say, I'm a re- I am love markets. I love to pick up a piece of fruit and I love the colour and the noise and the, and New Covent Garden was exactly that. It was just full on. There were people pushing trolleys of flowers everywhere. There were buckets of beauty everywhere you looked and it was just this, like, I knew that I was going to love this, but I didn't realise quite how much I was going to love this. And then because I loved it so much and we talked about it, she said, why don't you help me with a job? And then it just kind of went from there, really. So I worked in London with her for about two years and that was quite corporate, I would say. So we did big events and we did events at the Dorchester and London Zoo and it was kind of 30 table centres and huge arrangements and very, very different to the stuff that I'm doing now. And then my husband wanted to have a break from work and so we, I'm denied about where we were going to move to, we decided we'd like to leave London and we settled on Devon, on Dartmoor, which is incredibly beautiful so we came down here which was now about 20 years ago so quite a long time ago and I had little children and I kind of thought I'm going to give this a go on my own I'd worked with Georgie in London but I just thought I'm going to give this a shot and just 
And I'd say that I kind of limped along for quite a long time because my children were young and I couldn't give it what I needed to give it to make it fly as a business. And then as they grew older and more independent, I did a bit more and a bit more and a bit more. And it's been such a slow burn. It really has. But I think that I would say I only really hit the ground and really started going with it about six years ago. So they kind of left home. They've now gone. But apart from that, for me, it was I tried to grow. I had a a piece of land at a farm up the road. And every time I had a bit of space and I thought I was going to do it, I just never seemed to be able to give it the amount of time that I needed to. I mean, it's massively time consuming and the weeds took over and it became, you know, and so I gave up and then I tried somewhere else and I gave up and then I tried at home. And it was just this continuous kind of, but I was always trying Mm -hmm. and I did courses. I did a Sarah Raven course. Actually, just before I left London, I did that on growing your own, having a cutting garden and growing your own flowers. So it was, you know, the roots were, it was a really, really long time kind of coming to fruition. Mm -hmm. And then... About four years ago, I took on a piece of land in a walled garden in Chagford, which is our local town. That was my first really successful growing season. And I grew buckets and buckets of flowers. And I just was completely thrilled. Absolutely loved it. But again, it it was away from home. And home, although we've got a fairly decent sized garden, it's surrounded by very mature trees. So we are hugely shaded and lots of it. So lots of it is unusable. And I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to use the space that I've got. So I built these beds at home. I've got some raised beds and I gave it my all. And everything just started to kind of fall into place from there on in. I love using British flowers. It changes the way that I arrange it. And now I feel like I'm, yeah, I'm in my place now. Yeah. But it's taken a really long time to get here. <laughs> it's actually really wonderful to hear, I think, because it has such a unique way of arranging and so it's wonderful to see that it yeah developed over time it did yeah it really did yeah your garden space can you describe it a little bit more how many beds you have yeah so it's long and thin but we've got about half an acre so we've got a good amount of space but it's a slightly odd shape and one end of it is very wild and quite chaotic but I kind of love that about it. And we don't mow it in the summer and we have a meadow there. And again, lots of mature trees, the most beautiful beech trees and oak and just lovely. And then in the right in the middle of the plot is the house. And then next to the house is my studio. And then between the house and studio, there is this glorious spot, which is my kind of full sun spot. And it's got 12 kind of eight by three foot raised beds. And that's where I kind of concentrate on my growing. And then there's a lawn in front of it, which I haven't really confessed to my husband, but I'm going to slowly kind of encroach on that. I think think the lawn's going to... It stays or not. It's not going to stay around for much longer. (laughs) And then at the other end of the house, there's a very kind of small area, again, quite shaded, but more cultivated than the wild end of the area, end of the garden. And there I've got hellebores and ferns and all those lovely kind of shade loving. I've got some camellia... And yeah, just based on what you're describing and what I know of your work, it sounds like you're pulling from all of those places. That is absolutely true. Yeah, definitely. And the fields and the lanes and the woods around me, I probably would say almost my main area of inspiration, definitely kind of wild. Yeah, definitely. And do you also bring in some flowers? 
Well, yes, I do, actually. I have two really excellent flower farms, one in Sherburn called Blackshed, and Paul just and Helen grow the most amazing flowers. They've got, I think, two and a half acres that they're growing on at the moment and a huge polytunnel and a bit like a child in a sweet shop when I go there. And then that's about an hour and a half away, though. So I usually go there if I've got a really kind of I've something very special or a big size job to do. And I go and pick my own flowers. They let me kind of free in their fields with a pair of secateurs, which is heaven. And then the other place that I buy from um, is Amelia's Flower Farm. Oh, actually, no, there's three. There's three. And another girl who's just just outside Chagford who grows as well. So, yeah. But all British flower farms now. Wonderful. And what is your daily practice like in the garden? Are you out there every day? Well, I suppose in the summer, yes, every day doing something. But it's quiet now because I've done that kind of putting everything to most things to bed. And I quite like my propagating. So I spend quite a lot of time in the greenhouse. And then obviously, as the season progresses, I'll always be out there picking. So I'll always spend some time out in the garden picking a bucket of flowers. So it takes daily maintenance, I think, really. Yeah. But not necessarily all day, every day. I might spend an hour here and an hour there. And that's, I think it's who I am as a person. So I'm not very organized. I'm quite chaotic in the way that I approach things, which means that I might kind of go out and have an amazing blitz and spend a whole day in the garden or go and do 20 minutes and then get pulled in and not be expecting to be there at all. So yeah, always sometime out there, definitely. Yeah. But not in a very organized fashion. (laughs) I think it's hard to to be as regimented as maybe one could be in your mind with things that are growing. Yeah. I spent a lot of time beating myself up about it, though. I'm kind of getting more comfortable with who I am and just thinking, you know what, it seems to be working okay. But I'm always kind of wishing that I was slightly more organized than I am. I spend a lot of time kind of, you know, well, I will do that when I've done this and then I never get around to doing that. Yep. And I'm trying to teach myself to just do that, that I want to do rather than, you know, it's like having the most beautiful box of colored pencils that I absolutely love and I want to sit down and draw with them, but I won't do it until I've tidied the kitchen up. So I never, ever sit down and draw with them. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. It's that kind of, yeah. and then it just becomes this kind of fantasy in my head that that's what I'll do. But I have to say the one place that I can escape from that is in my studio. So I go into my studio and I shut the door and I don't care what's going on anywhere else. I just get completely absorbed in an arrangement or photography. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's my place. And your studio is on site? It is. It was a garage. So -hmm. when I first kicked off and I was doing weddings, I used to deal with lawnmowers and children's bikes and things hanging from the ceiling. And, you know, I was kind of balancing things in strange places. But about eight years ago now, we converted it to my studio so that it's my space now, which is very treaty. And literally two minute walk from the house, which is wonderful, really. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm very lucky. And you're just able to to completely be in your own world there. Yeah, it's my place. Absolutely. Yeah, I do get quite kind of crotchety about other people who try and invade it, which they do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my son did think it would be a great party venue for a while, but I did explain to him, no, that just, no, that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> And you're right, it would be, but not for you. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And are there any plants from your youth, either walking the verges or otherwise, that inspired you that continue to be in your garden? I'd say 
the wildflowers really native flowers those are the ones that I feel most connection to actually so that's why this year I mean very gently we've been kind of getting that end of the garden to be a more organized wild area and this year I'm going to spend a lot more time putting more time into it so the meadow that we have has got all sorts of lovely stuff in it but I'm going to properly concentrate on getting some yellow rattle into it and just really, rather than just letting it be, manipulate it a little bit, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's wonderful. A meadow is on my list of desires, of both as a project. Yeah, it would be my favourite place to be. Any meadow. It's the place that I feel most inspired by and at peace. Yeah. Yeah. In addition to yellow rattle, which is obviously helpful for the reducing the grass, is there anything else that you're hoping to include in the meadow garden? Well, we've got lots of buttercups and this year I've planted lots of bulbs down there. So I've got some camassia and I'd love to have some fritillary in there as well, but they're a bit fussy. So, you know, they might take, they might not, but I'm going to give it a go. After that, really whatever arrives, all the different grasses, the grasses and sedges of which there are thousands. And yeah, I have a book about it and there are so many different, different. And I love those. I love the way they move in the wind and... I don't know all of their varieties, I'm afraid, you know, there's a few, there's a few that I know, but there are so many. Yeah. And then we've got Campion down there and we've got a little bit of cow parsley, but we need to encourage that more in the shady area. And I'm hoping to get that going. So I'm kind of letting it do its thing and it's doing it really nicely. Yeah. I was curious if you included your family in any way in the garden. Do they enjoy the space in the same way you do, especially at younger? Well... It's funny, you should ask, because, I mean, we all love it and we all love being outdoors. And my husband's a great walker, so he really uses the kind of wilds of the moor very well. But my son finished university, well, it would have been before the pandemic, so, but only just in the summer and then COVID arrived in the winter. Anyway, he was at home for the summer and he decided that he was going to do a conversion to do law. And... Never completely comfortable with it, but kind of thought that that's where he was going. He'd done philosophy and French at university. Anyway, he started gardening with me that summer and we started doing lots of walks and talking about wildflowers and identifying them. And he was really interested in it. And he has gone to study horticulture. He's completely given up on his. So I would say yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's a definite yes. And he's loving it. So he's gone off to work in Scotland as an apprentice gardener. And he's kind of working his way through his RHS exams and, you know, we'll see where it takes him. He doesn't really quite know where he's going with it yet. But my daughter, who writes, I suggested to her last week that she might like to write for a really lovely magazine that I like called Rake's Progress. And she said, you've had one of us. She said, I'm not, (laughs) I'm not going. She stuck her heels in. She says, you needn't think that you're going to brainwash me as well. I was like, okay. The other was so easy. I didn't even... (laughs) Now I want to see how far my power can reach. <laughs> yeah. Maybe in a few years, I'll try again. Well, that's wonderful. And they, I imagine they were with you mucking about when they were younger. Oh, always, always outside. I think because we live where we live, I and mean, we are literally in the middle of nowhere, that is their playground, you know, and we have always walked on the moor and yeah, yeah they've always been outdoors really. And so are you also in charge of your vegetable patch? It seems like you have some wonderful vegetables. 
Well, do you know, that is more George than me. So I really would use all my space for flowers. But my son, he loved growing vegetables. And so I kind of took over from him. And then last year, he'd got loads of stuff going from seed. And then he got his job in Scotland. And so he kind of abandoned everything and left it to me. So then I took over. And so I would say I dabble in vegetable growing. And I always grow tomatoes and I always grow courgettes and we always have salad. But I'm not a supremely competent vegetable gardener. <laughs> and I'm always thinking I'd like to put some more flowers in. So I'll just move those vegetables <laughs> to the side. <laughs> so, yeah. So I'm using, I am always kind of, you know, using my space for more and more and more flowers. Wonderful. Well, I, I think you, your space for more flowers and also you take some of the vegetables, like the tomatoes for your arrangements. <laughs> and I do. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And they're beautiful, aren't they? Yeah, you know, I mean, gorgeous. you know, absolutely beautiful. I love these little teeny, teeny, tiny, I don't know what they're called now, but they were just the most beautiful miniature tomatoes that I used quite a lot this year and black tomatoes which were beautiful but George grew all of those so I don't quite know what I'm going to do next year yeah <laughs> I need to kind of you know get focused right maybe have him come in for just a you know a holiday and... yeah exactly and then just send him yeah. away again yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay your job yeah. is done now. one of the things in addition to your use of the vegetables one of the things I love about your work is the how you use foliage I think the just the colors and the way those sort of arching shapes and everything. It really seems like you treat them with the same aesthetic sensibility as flowers. I think that's something that's come to me more in the last couple of years. Foliage has become a really big, very important part of my arranging. Yeah, definitely. And it seems like you have a very careful way of observing. Does it speak to you or was that conscious? I think I do have a careful way of observing in that I won't settle for any branch you know, so when I pick, and most of my foliage is wild, actually, I'd say most of it is native. Mm -hmm. So I kind of pick from from the hedgerows and the um, as a bit from the garden, but I need to put more shrubs in basically, I am so fussy about which branch I use. And there's a lot of climbing up on top of things. And yeah, yeah, exactly hanging in precariously trying to get that that branch. That's the one I want. And I do spend a lot of time looking you know always looking and I will kind of spot something on a walk and then go back and get it later you know kind of log it yeah and then think I remember I saw that there and it was exactly the right color and it was exactly the right shape and then I you know so yeah I'm quite fussy I suppose. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> it's the short short answer right well what I've noticed is looking at your work it makes me see things differently which is really wonderful it has changed my perspective a lot that's really lovely to hear. Well, it, this also reminds me of how you sometimes say that you're inspired by nature. Have you found yourself bringing things into the garden that are more natural or, or how is that shift? What does that mean to you? Well, yes, I suppose really when I'm talking about next year, concentrating on the kind of more native end of the garden, I'm just about to do a big order actually. And I want to order some viburnum, some spindle berry and which are very much kind of native hedgerow plants but I want to have them here in the garden to use and I'm cutting some stuff back that I'm less interested in and bringing up you know yeah. so very much making that end of the I mean it already provides me with so much stuff as soon as things start to grow again and even now we've got catkins on the hazel coming and all the beech leaves that are dying off and brown they're really beautiful yeah. and they give you and all the beech branches give me a really lovely shape and I've used those in some of my wreath making so I suppose I'm always using stuff always looking 
and the lichen is amazing at the moment it is oh and the moss so beautiful and we really have got a huge amount here because the air is very clean on Dartmoor so it's a really great environment for it and in the winter because there's no other nothing to compete with it it just pops you know and you just see it it's just everywhere it drips out of the trees it's (laughs) beautiful stuff yeah really gorgeous and are you using that in your work I am yeah how do you do that Well, the lichen is all kind of attached to branches. So I just pick the branches with the lichen on it and then use it either to arrange with or, I mean, mainly in the last couple of weeks, I suppose I've been making wreaths. That's been my main. Mm -hmm. But actually, I spent some time in the studio the other day photographing lichen and on some branches and I'm twitching to make an arrangement with it. But it's still cooking, I would say. It takes me a while to get myself to the place where I feel like I know exactly what I'm going to do and then I'll go and do it. And sometimes it can take me two weeks. Yeah just takes ages to arrive at that. And so can you tell me a little bit more about that process? It sounds like you're seeing things and making notes and then is the next step bringing it in? Is photography always part of it? Yeah, I suppose sometimes it just happens instantaneously, you know, and I'll see something and feel completely inspired by it, bring it into the studio and it just all works. Um, The lichen, I mean, it's more difficult because it's quite difficult to photograph because the truth is that as soon as you get away from it and you see the shape of the arrangement, you don't see the detail of the lichen. So it's kind of working out how I can, I think I'm going to have to do a smaller arrangement with it. And the process, I suppose, is a thoughtful one. So I know what I want to use. I see something. I know I want to use it. And then... I might have a go and it might not quite work. So like I say, I spent some time in the studio photographing things the other day and I wasn't happy with it and I ended up deleting all the photographs. And then I need to get myself back into that creative place in my head where I can go back and have another go. Mm -hmm. So I've been kind of busy this week running around practically doing stuff. So I need to carve out that little bit of time for myself again, I suppose, so that I can kind of go back into the studio, shut the door behind me and have a bit of a play really in the end yeah is photography always part of your process do you think do you know I think it I think increasingly so Mm -hmm. yeah I'm not sure where I'm going with photography it might even be something that I don't think it'll ever take over flowers because in the end I'll always be photographing the world the nature that I see around me and and the garden and Dartmoor but I like where it takes me I like how it makes me see so if I go for a walk with my camera and I'm on my own, I see it's like putting on new eyes, Mm -hmm. you know, and that is something that happens more and more to me, definitely. So it's just the best place to be, really. And you see light differently, and you take time to get into the right place, to get the right angle, to get the, you know, and all of that time that you're doing that, you're looking and seeing and enjoying and soaking it all up and feeling inspired by it. So it's something that I've always loved and now it takes me over a little bit. Yeah, that's wonderful. Which is great, actually. Absolutely. And when you are able to set aside that studio time, is the only thing you need to be in that creative space, all you need is kind of to close the door behind you or do you do anything else in your preparation? No, pretty much just that. Yeah. And I need time, definitely. So I need to know I've got time because otherwise I rush and then it's never, Yeah. you know, never works when you're rushing. So yeah, the knowledge that I have the time to do it and my ingredients, and they can come from the garden or they can come from literally a walk up, you know, up the road into the village and back again. And I can come back with a handful of something, which I then arrange or yeah, 
in addition to, to nature itself, is there any anywhere else that you take inspiration from? The list is so long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure yours is as well. <laughs> I love naturalistic planting. So Dan Pearson, is, his gardens are completely beautiful. I'm massively inspired by everything that he does. Yeah. And he has such a way with him, such a beautiful, peaceful. Yeah. So for my garden, I would say that. So I'm always going to fall short, but I will be forever inspired. (laughs) (laughs) And I spent some time this year. I went to Sussex, which is quite a drive for us. But and I went to Great Dixter, which is the most beautiful garden. And Sissinghurst as well. But Dixter has my heart, really. That's a really beautiful space. What did you like about it? I think it's a little bit chaotic Mm -hmm. in the best possible way. And it feels very just very clever that somehow they managed to make the garden feel like it's doing its own thing while it doesn't feel constricted in any way at all and I love that about it and it's full it's absolutely full to you just think how do you get anything else I mean you know it's completely jam-packed with texture and colour and and slightly strange combinations that mm-hmm. you might think, oh, that's a bit odd. I'm not sure I would put that with that. But somehow that doesn't matter. That's part of its beauty, really. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I love about it, really. Wonderful. And then any other books or people or gardens? Well, florists. Yeah. So florists, I would say when I first started using Instagram and it kind of opened my eyes to the world out there and the amazing talent that there is. And I was really inspired by Nicolette Camille and Sarah Ryan. Yes, of Cypher. Yeah, yeah, Cypher, exactly. And their way of using colour and their kind of freedom with their arrangements. I just thought that was completely, I was really inspired by that. I thought it was absolutely beautiful and continue to be inspired by both of them, actually, even though they've kind of gone their own ways. I think they're just amazing people. So those two. And then I did a half day with Sarah Winwood as well up in Yorkshire with Fiona Pickles, who is lovely Fiona, who's now become a good friend. And my other real inspiration is Bridget from Moss and Stone as well, who I spent a day with. I treated myself to a day with her and it's probably about three or four years ago now. And I think it was one of the best days I've ever had. I wanted to kind of loosen things up a bit and she is such a great teacher and she just kind of makes you feel like you're doing it all yourself while kind of gently coaxing you. So she builds your confidence very well, which is great. Wonderful. And so, yeah, she again, very inspiring. And because I've got a huge pile of books, (laughs) so many, so many, you know, I don't don't even know where to start with those. I love Rake's Progress, which I've mentioned before, which is a magazine. I Honestly, the list, I could go on and on. I could sit here for hours. <laughs> <laughs> What's wonderful about gardening is that even if it, there's nothing growing, you can still always be doing there. You can, exactly. <laughs> My seed catalogs came today from Chilton Seeds. Oh. I was so excited. I know, I know. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm really, you know, looking forward to, you know, it's the, one of the nicest things about the winter isn't it really that kind of the ability to dream yeah absolutely yeah about what you think your garden's going to look like next year but that's okay (laughs) right I always seem to have like acres in my mind given how you know everything I I know every box that's checked (laughs) (laughs) 
exactly. And I always end up buying too many seeds yes. and I always end up having some that I don't get around to using, which is so bad, but I just, it's, yeah. They, they can last. One of my jobs for this year is I have got this huge basket of seeds and I've got to go through it. Yeah. Sort it out. Yeah. Either you're planning or looking at your past work. Do you keep a journal at all of either the garden or your work? Well, I don't, but I suppose my journal is my photographs. Mm-hmm. So I can go back through those and always remember what was going on, when, where. Mm-hmm. So it's all there and catalogued. But I, in actual fact, again, for the new year, it's one, it's something that I am going to, I'm determined to start. I want to start a blog in the new year and I want to be strictly seasonal with it. I really, really love the Japanese idea of, I think it's 72 seasons. You know, they have this lovely, yeah, which is just so beautiful, really, and so true that there is always something different going on somewhere. And there is always something subtle that changes the color of a leaf or the shape or. And yeah, I want to document that hopefully next year. That's my plan. That's great. Yeah, yeah. So that's the plan for the new year. Definitely more photography, a journal. Great. And yeah, I've given up weddings now as well. So I've stopped those. Yeah, yeah. So can you tell me about how you came to that decision? I think I am at a kind of changing point for my business. And I'm not really quite sure how I'm going to make any money yet. So it's quite tricky. (laughs) But I promised my husband I will be. I will be. (laughs) I think I felt like I wasn't, and actually I heard Bridget saying this the other day and it really resonated with me. She said she felt like a florist was somebody who somebody came to and they said, I would like 10 of those arrangements and a bouquet and some buttonholes and, and I really want them in blues and purples or whatever. And although I still enjoy the process of doing that, um, I started to feel very constricted by it and... I think I would, I hesitate to say this, but I feel more akin to an artist now than I do a florist. Mm -hmm. So I think that was my process, really. I kind of got to that point. And I also have got to the big 5-0. And I just kind of thought, I've been doing this for a really long time now. And it's really very tiring. And I'm kind of ready to stop Mm -hmm. doing that part of my flower journey for want of a better and try something new yeah so I'd like to and I hope to do some teaching in the studio so that would be my my next thing as well so kind of have people come to me and spend some time with me to talk about how I design and try and encourage them in their creative wonderful and would you still be available for a specific arrangement, maybe with less, like a gift or something, but with less? It's about brief almost. Yeah, well, I definitely will continue to grow. And I sell the flowers that I don't use in Chagford. And currently I'm selling them. There's a lovely bakery there, a lovely organic bakery. And I bunch flowers up in the, every week in the summer and take a big box of them there and sell them there. And actually, I really love doing that. But I really love bunching up flowers and having the contact with the person who's buying them I really like that so I did have a little market store for a while at one point and I love that process I just love that kind of connecting with people and just giving them a bunch and talking to them about what was in their bunch and how it was grown and so I don't know maybe I might do that again 
possibly because I'll have a bit more time next summer. So that would be a really nice thing to be able to do. So yeah, I will still be doing that. And if somebody rang me and said they wanted something extra special, then then I would, I'm really happy to put together what I've got in my garden at that time into a really gorgeous bouquet of flowers for somebody. So yeah, I'm not stopping completely in that way. So what will your year look like as a grower? Yeah, much the same as every. So I've got all my hardy annuals in the greenhouse at the moment and I'm about to I was a bit late with my ranunculus but I grow half of them in the greenhouse and then I grow half of them outside so I have a staggered ranunculus coming and all my bulbs are in and so they will kind of get cracking in the spring and then I'll start saying so sweet I don't ever do my sweet peas until just after Christmas so I'll get my sweet peas going just after Christmas and then the whole lovely process starts all over again so First of all, I need to go through my seeds and work out what I've got. (laughs) Before you order. (laughs) Before I order more, exactly. Before I get completely seduced by (laughs) all the lovely pictures of things that I think, oh, I might have a go at doing that. I must, I must, must, must sort my seed box out first. So yeah, and then choose what I'm going to grow this year and get going. Wonderful. I think because I've got a lovely flower farm quite close by and she grows very successfully and very well. I need to grow things that are slightly unusual. So I need to think about what she doesn't provide and grow that. And I also want to overhaul my dahlias this year as well. That's a big job I've got to do in the summer. So I want to dig two new beds, i.e. the lawn. Right. Yeah, I'll just keep that one a bit quiet and start again with my dahlias. So I need to choose a whole new, I've got a whole long list of you know yeah some that I'd like to have absolutely but I really love the slightly unusual kind of I've got a tulip that I'm growing this year but it's red and white stripe like red and white candy stripe and I love dahlias that are there's one that's called something to cassis I think yes and it's like a kind of split color it's almost like it's got a kind of stripy petal Mm -hmm. so I want to grow more things like that slightly quirky stuff really I suppose I am you know, massively seduced by colour. I'm a really, mm-hmm. I'm a bit of a tart for colour, really, quite honestly. I always think I want to be muted and very tasteful. and But actually, in the end, you put a really whopping, glorious piece of colour in front of me and I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm all eyes. I can't help it. <laughs> More foliage, you know, greens, layers of greens. and like, I know, exactly. And I love that. Yeah. Something to balance it, so. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's always what I admire, but then what I actually, where it ends up. I know, exactly. In all green section, what happened? (laughs) I often start my arrangements with colour, I think. Colour is another massively inspiring. So I might have one or two flowers that I see that I absolutely love. And then the process of finding other things which work with that one or two colored flowers I find really satisfying yeah and when I get something that works really well makes me feel really happy so and that can literally you know I might have something growing in the garden that I completely love and then I stomp down the road looking for exactly the right leaf to go with to make it work yeah and are you doing that just by eye or do you ever use like a color wheel to see what might work or no that's by eye that is all by eye slightly chaotically yeah, yeah. It works. more chaos yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a theme here and it's chaos but it adds yeah, and yeah. it's chaos yeah exactly <laughs> it produces wonderful results so stick with it <laughs> even in your very busy wedding world you still 
seemed like you always found time to make arrangements for yourself. Yeah. But it's sort of demanding. And so I was curious to know how you kind of kept that balance with finding creative time, being able to spend that time in your studio. Yeah. Chaotically, I suppose, by leaving something else that I should be doing. I think it's a need in me. And if I see it and I feel it I have to do it and I feel quite urgent about it sometimes so you know I might have something that I pick that I put in the studio and I I have to arrange with it you know Mm. I can't just let it go or you know so I have to carve out some time to so yeah there's no process to it I suppose it's just uh I've got to do it and I might get out of bed really early in the morning to go and do it or I know it's there And every time I walk past the studio, I know it's there waiting for me. And I find the time to go and do it because I can't not. Yeah. And in addition to flowers and photography, is there any other creative outlet? I don't actually know. Probably they are my main creative and my gardening, I suppose. That's quite creative too. Lots of things I'd like to do. When the evenings are dark and the fire's lit and it's all cosy and I sit there with my embroidery or, you know, and I'm like, that never happens, does yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> it just never happens. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fantasy world. I think about doing stuff all the time, yeah. but never quite get around to it. But actually, I'm hoping, I am hoping that next year, I mean, whether this actually happens or not, yeah. I have no idea. But because I'm not doing weddings, I'm hoping that I will have more time to absolutely, yeah, stretch myself in other ways, which is indulgent, I know, but oh, no. I'm going to do it. I've come to realize, especially through speaking to, getting this chance to speak to people, it is a human need, creativity, and it speaks to our, our highest level of achievement. I think it's very, I think that's very true. I think if you are a creative person, if you are a, you're lucky, aren't you, really, if you are. I do feel that because there is nothing more wonderful or satisfying and it doesn't always happen but than to endeavor creatively and to achieve that kind of lovely feeling of having an idea and seeing it through to its kind of fruition and and then when someone pays you for it as well my wow that's amazing (laughs) that's like the biggest high ever yeah (laughs) I was just having fun I was just really enjoying it Is there anything that you've been unable to grow or you've been interested in using that you brought it home and could never quite make it work? There is a fritillary that I have tried about four times to grow and it just never, Persica, I just cannot get them to, they just won't. Every time I put the bulb in, they stick a couple of leaves up. That's it. That's all I get, which is very frustrating. And I have years where I'm very successful with things and then other years where I'm not, I suppose. But... That is my absolute outright failure. Yeah, that I just can't, I just can't get that. To, I just can't get it to work. Some people seem to be massively successful yeah. with them. You know, you say to them, so what's the secret? And they're like, well, you just put it, it just, and I'm like, well, it, but it just doesn't, does it? Yeah. <laughs> they're beautiful. Yeah. But they're fussy. And in your garden or have you always dried flowers and saved seeds and that sort of thing? Or is that? My seed saving is, I'm going to use that word again, a little chaotic. But I'm likely to kind of save a bowl of them and think, brilliant, I've saved loads of seed and then lose them or tip them over in the studio. I'm not very good at cataloguing and being good, but I'm trying to do it better. And this year I have saved all my sweet pea seeds, so I'm going to give it a go. Great, wonderful. And poppies as well, which are so easy, aren't they really? They're just a wonder. Yeah. And as a result of that, poppies in the garden are incredible because, you know, they're such tarts and they're kind of out there all the time, aren't they, with each other. Yeah. It is just one, and the bees just love them. 
And so you get this crossover of field poppies and opium poppies. And I get the most amazing colours, the most beautiful colours. Poppies give me love the poppies. Wonderful. And drying flowers, increasingly, I suppose, like a lot of people, I more and more and more. And, you know, I see things that, so this year I saw somebody who dried some buttercups and you kind of think, how could you? And they were so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. They were gorgeous. They were so delicate and she was using them in arrangements. When I did Strawberry Hill, Mm -hmm. Ah, they were fantastic. So I'm definitely going to have a go at that next year. Yeah. Did she use silica or did she actually dry them? No, she just hung them, you know, in bunches. Lots of air, I think, around them. And, but they just were, yeah. I think that's the thing, you know, lovely Beck's Botanical Tales, who just kind of has a go at anything. Yeah. And... It's about having a go, isn't it, really? It's about kind of thinking, well, I wonder how this will dry and treating it with love and care and respect and giving it the air it needs. And the most things are pretty beautiful, really. Yeah. After reading her book, nothing was safe in my garden. Every, I was just like, standing <laughs> I, if I could just, yeah, so she really like, changed my mind. It's so wonderful, isn't it? That, you know, you can, I just love that I can dry a whole load of stuff in the garden and then use it. And I'm like, that is my little bit of summer encapsulated and then used late the depths of winter. It's a bit like ha- freezing raspberries and getting a handful of them out and using them in a pie in the middle yeah. of the winter. There is something so wonderful about that. Totally. And this is my garden in the summer and I'm putting it in an arrangement in January. Mm-hmm. And that just makes me very happy, really. Yeah. I love that. It's almost both a time capsule, but a future. It's this lovely, like nostalgia, but... Exactly, which is wonderful. And it's something entirely different as well because the colour changes and the texture changes. And yeah, so it's the same, but different. And oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a wonderful thing, really. So again, I think I'll do more and more of it. Definitely. Great. I was wondering if there is anything that you're looking forward to using in early springtime that you'll be watching. Well... Our first things that come up are snowdrops, which are just, and I'm really lucky because we have lovely neighbours and they have a whole snowdrop walk. They're just amassing and they're completely beautiful. So they will be the first things that I probably arrange with, I think, in the spring. And the hellebores as well, which are heaven and I love them. But you have to wait for them. They don't, they have to ripen a bit. So even though I'll enjoy them in the garden for a while, it won't be until a few weeks after they first come out that I pick them to use them. So yeah, hellebores and snowdrops. And then I'll carry on using lots of catkins because I love them. So from the the hazel catkins, which are really beautiful and just get more and more lovely until they disappear. And I think it's garrier catkins. They're kind of gray. Yeah. So they're really lovely as well in the winter. I like using those too. Ivy berries, I also really love. And they're getting really fat now, so they're really beautiful too. So yeah, there's there's plenty of stuff out there. There's always something if you look. Yeah. It's you're never without. That's wonderful. And then based on all of these experiences that you've had, how do you think we can bring more people into the garden, either a personal or professional context, thinking about what worked for you or maybe what you would have done differently? I thought about that a lot. It's tricky, isn't it? Because The garden is, and being outside, and, you know, not everybody is as lucky as I feel that I am because I have the access to that amazing outside space. And I think about the people who don't have that. But I think in the end, it's just the doing of it. It's the getting your hands dirty and seeing the fruits of your labour and that you have to want to do it, don't you? Yeah. 
it's a funny thing because I was saying to my husband last week, truth is that how can we persuade people to look after this beautiful world that we live in if they don't love it? So we have to find a way yeah. to help people to love our world yeah. because I think a lot of people just don't see it. How you get them into it. You need to inspire, don't you? If you hold a seed in your hand and you look at it, a seed, and you think about a poppy seed, you know, a little tiny bit of dust. And I cannot believe the beauty that is packed inside this little teeny, teeny, tiny thing and all the information. And it just blows me away. And I, I never stop being amazed by that. So I suppose the best possible thing we can do is get in there early with our children, isn't it? You know, really give them some space outside their school yeah. and make them see the wonder of a seed. Make them understand that with a little bit of care and nurture that it becomes this and it has to start from there. Yeah. Getting to actually not just observe something and say, this is valuable, look at it, but don't touch it, but actually yes. using, giving some do opportunity it. Yeah, to do it. Then that changes yeah, their exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think that's it. Is there anything specifically for floristry or floral art that you would recommend someone who's interested in that space, what they might do first? I suppose just have a go. For me, it was quite a slow burn, but I was always interested in doing it. Find your groove, I suppose. Yeah, just buy yourself a bunch of flowers and give it a go. I would always encourage people to use British flowers and walk in the countryside and pick a few branches and put them with your... It is amazing what you can do, literally with a bunch of daffodils that you have from the supermarket, which cost you very little. If you add some hazel catkins to those and a little bit of ivy flower or you have got an arrangement, you know, it doesn't take very much. And you might find that in a car park, actually, quite honestly. It's not, you don't even have to get out into the countryside to find it. It's everywhere. It's all around us. Mm -hmm. Obviously, don't take too much of it. (laughs) (laughs) Or don't get caught. Be sensible about it. Yes, there are rules about foraging and you should follow. There are rules, there are rules, absolutely. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, thank you. Just wonderful to speak with you and, and learn all of it. Oh, I've really enjoyed it. It's been lovely. Thank you so much for asking me. Thank you so much for listening. Garden People is produced with generous support from our sponsor, Plant Gem. Plant Gem sells unique plants you won't find anywhere else for a garden that reflects your personal style. Find them at www.plantgem.com. As always, thank you for supporting the companies that support this podcast. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love it if you left a review as it helps other garden people find us. You'll find links for everything we've discussed in the show notes or on our website. To get early access to our guest list and information about bonus episodes, gardening tips from our guests, and more, sign up for the newsletter at violetearstudio.com. Thank you.